0: Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with OddsChecker. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by George Ellick and Sam Tye to go through this week's Premier League fixtures. The two main games that we're going to focus on this week are Spurs against Chelsea and Newcastle against Arsenal. We're going to rattle through our predictions as well pick a little bet by odds checkers to try and win you some money this weekend and then we'll finish with our team in focus section which handily for sam and myself this week is aston villa george
1: how are you not been on for a for a few weeks not been very well yeah i'm getting there now um i was not well for about two weeks um had ulcers on my throat which is a really nice illness for a yeah, professional podcaster right. um so that wasn't great um, but I'm, yeah, I'm fighting fit now, but quite excited that I can just basically leave the call where you guys talk about Villa towards the end of the... Uh, yeah, it'd be great for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm, yeah. oh, It's great for us to have a professional podcaster on. I, I, I did not know we had any of those on this show, so that's, that's a ex- excellent, think, George.
1: Yeah, well, I think we all are, sadly. I mean, we, we are getting paid to do this, so that's it. That's We're spoiler, not amateurs.
0: Spoiler people might be surprised to, to learn that, that I'm getting paid, in, <laughs>
1: in fairness.
2: Sam, how are you? Yeah, just uh, talking about professional podcasters yeah, there as I take a, a sip for mug. my SpongeBob named <laughs> mug. Uh, <laughs> really doing George no favors there with the descriptions, but it sounds like I've been better than George for the last couple mm. of weeks. So I take that.
0: Right then. So let's get into the pod. Let's get into the show. Let's talk about Spurs against Chelsea. And George, the big news for Spurs is the return of Rodrigo Benton Kerr. That'll be, you know, obviously, they're going really, really well at the moment. Tottenham Hotspur midfield actually been functioning really well with Basuma and Saar. But, you know, they've got some AFCON problems to come later on in the season. Getting Benton Kerr back will be a massive boost because, being honest, when he's fully fit and firing,
1: he does probably get in their best 11? Yeah, he probably does. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how he recovers from an ACL injury. It's, it's not easy for players uh, necessarily to come back and be quite the same player that they once were, but he's not necessarily someone who you know relied on their athleticism, albeit I, I'm excited to see him play in a Andrew Postacoglu team rather than an Antonio Conte team where, you know, having watched him in the past for Juventus, you know he's uh, definitely more of a, a physical pressing midfielder than we've necessarily seen in a Spurs shirt so far, and he should be given licence to do that. But I I think it's just, the easy answer here is that when he got injured, it was a massive blow to Spurs. I I remember at the time, it was kind of, they they were having to roll with the punches, and you kind of almost forget about him, and the fact that he's now coming back into the side and it's kind of up for debate as to whether or not he he fits into their best eleven. I think shows not only how far individual players have, have improved in that time, Basuma obviously being the key one. Um, but also just the levels that Ange Postacoglu has seen uh, or has, has instigated uh, that have risen under his tenure. So he's, you know, he's a player who absolutely will offer something different in that in that midfield. I'm sure he'll play a massive part if he's able to stay fit. Um, but in the same way that you know Kulisevsky felt like he was such an important like. Player for for uh, for Spurs during that period, whereas now you know he's, he's still a very good player, but he's part of what is a a, a well-oiled functioning machine that the Tottenham are right now. So a big boost, but by no means something that's absolutely necessary for Spurs fans.
0: I think you yeah, a a point about Kuduzewski, actually. But I think if you took Kuduzewski out of that team, you'd really, really notice, notice. it. I, I yeah, think yeah. he's probably not getting the plaudits or getting the goals and assists that perhaps he was at, at one point. But if you take him out, I think he's a real a real key bit of that Spurs team. And it m- might fall down. But again, I think if you hit, hit the nail on the head with the fact that they they are a team, how good are they at, at the moment, Sam? This is... a. Uh, this is a stupendous start to the season. You know, Costa Coglu to have the record that he has after 10 games this season, you know, Premier League record
2: broken. That's absolutely exceptional. It is, yeah. It's an exceptional start. Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, basically, I think in the Premier League era, uh, any team that has started with this many wins on the board from this many opening games, has never finished below third. Uh, not to pile any certain pressure on... Any certain teams. I know Spurs fans are just trying to enjoy it while it lasts and see how it goes. And the way you talk about Kudaseski there is interesting because I kind of feel like Spurs have like nine key players. And that's that that's obviously really stupid. Like you can't really say you can nine key players. But it just highlights how well oiled. Oh, I wanna know who the two are that aren't key players in the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the um, day. All- it, it would be Papsar. I don't think Papsar is key. Very sorry okay. to him. He doesn't quite make the cut. Maybe it's 10 and Papsar, because I'm sure you're <laughs> the same as me, right? You're, you're thinking, right, well, if Bentoncourt is going to step into the first 11, it's not going to be uh, in Basuma's place. Okay, yes, during AFCON, but generally speaking, where would he go? You've got to assume that it would be Papsar's position and actually a Benton bentoncourt midfield. I mean, it's a crazy to think that this Spurs team could actually level up even further. Based on what we're watching right now, because they're top of the league. They deserve to be so. They've been one of the best teams in the league. And that's an amazing thing to say when you share a league with Man City and Arsenal and Liverpool. And, and yet Villa. they could they, and Villa. And they could get even <laughs> better. They could get even better depending on Benson Cool's recovery. Um, the one question I would posit is you know, what we've watched from Basuma so far this season, his ability to drive from deep with the ball at his feet, but also play under very intense pressure during build-up and distribute the ball really cleanly to make sure that Spurs' build-up play, play is working. That is what I identify as Bentoncourt's big strengths too. So when you've got two players that can do that, first of all, great to have the depth. And second, how do you how do you accommodate them both? What How do you change things to make it work? So while on paper he's an upgrade to Sarr, he's so similar to Basuma in certain ways that some tweaks will have to come if he comes into this team. And I'm fascinated to see what Postacoglu does because... Unlike you, Dan, I don't think he wants to change your winning formula.
0: No, I don't think Ben Taker will come in for a few weeks in, in fairness. George has got his hand raised like he's at school. You something you'd like to say, George?
1: Yeah, I just knew that you weren't going to let me talk if I didn't do that. Um, just kept, <laughs> just coming out in defence of of, of Saab, because I thought it was interesting that when um, Spurs went to Palace last time out, I think Roy Hodgson, in a very Roy Hodgson way, basically decided that he wasn't going to let Pissouma dictate the, the tempo of the game, wasn't going to let him do what he'd done uh, for a long time this season and basically just told, said to Will Hughes, Will Hughes, you're just going to go and stand by Basuma, basically, and stop the ball going into him. And that meant that Saar was basically given a lot more, I guess, creative freedom, like he was getting on the ball in much further, much more advanced areas. And I thought he did really well. And it was interesting that it was Basuma who got hooked after an hour and um, because he wasn't really impacting the game for for, for Hojbiak as they kind of acknowledged that for this game, at least Basuma wasn't going to be allowed to do what he's doing. So firstly, I mean, that is, you know, a year ago, the idea of Eve Basuma being marked out of a game, being pinpointed as Spurs' biggest threat was absolutely unthinkable. So credit to him. And given that, you know, the way that Postacoglu and what he demands of his midfielders, despite, even though they're not in Europe this season, I do think players like Hojbjerg and Bentancur when they come back, like it, it's, it's not going to consistently be this saar Basuma um, midfield duo I do think we'll see a lot of rotation between them because there are, you know, physical demands that that are being asked of these guys, especially in the press.
0: Yeah, Sam just spoke about Spurs having perhaps nine key players, and obviously we've said it's it's a team very much in the in the mould of the manager now, as as well the manager is getting the best out of them. Brennan Johnson, a player who was raised in the AFL, George, we could probably do one of these every, every single week. <laughs> Someone you'll you'll have seen a lot of. How far can he go with Spurs? Because he's a player that really, really impressed me last season. What I liked about him and probably uh, Gibbs White as well at Forest was that they kind of took the pressure on their back and carried Forest forward, drove, drove them forward. Brennan Johnson came on in the last game and uh, made an impact. He's a really good footballer. He's probably going to have to play from the left, though, at at Spurs. Will will that suit him?
1: Is he going to be getting their best 11, Brennan Johnson, in your opinion? I mean, he he'll play a lot. I mean, he's one of those players who has had to change his game as he's kind of moved up the, the pyramids. Like when he was playing in League One for Lincoln, um, he was just by far and away the best technical player on the pitch. And added to that, he had this incredible pace, and that's a pretty destructive combination to to have. It meant he could play through the middle or, or or out wide. Obviously, he still retains the pace, but his you know his technical ability now, while still being good, isn't levels above the Premier League. So therefore, he's having to. Um, almost changed the way he plays a little bit. He's best at effectively exploiting space and behind. So I think when Spurs are playing against teams of the high line, that's when he'll be at his most useful. I think that's where we've seen him be um, incredibly good for, for Nottingham Forest, who, uh, under Steve Cooper, you know, adapted at times to ensure that they weren't necessarily going to be the, the possession-heavy side that we saw Cooper implement at Swansea. Uh, a nice story about Brendan Johnson is that he was... Um, he kind of owes his career to a mate of his dad's, where David Johnson, his dad, former footballer, was very good friends growing up with Michael Appleton. Uh, and Appleton was, was manager of Lincoln. Brennan Johnson wasn't really getting much of a look in at, at Nottingham Forest, wasn't seemingly particularly rated by by the, the Forest hierarchy at that time. And so Appleton did his mate a favour and, and took him out on loan. And, and he was the best player in the league by miles. So it was that that friendship that, that's led to, uh, to to what we've seen from Johnson from now on. And I'm excited to see, you know, he's working for a manager now who, um, clearly will give him a lot of time um, and not expect too much too early. Whether or not he's suited to playing off the left, I wouldn't say it's his ideal position, but one of his biggest strengths is versatility, where I think you could play him through the middle in a two and you could play him out wide in a three as well. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a very good player and someone who, uh, even if you know he may not be as sparkling a talent on the ball as he once was. Uh, His his willingness to run and his his physicality and his pace is is definitely something that will be very handy for them.
0: Yeah, it will really help Spurs in transition in in certain games, I, I would imagine. Let's talk a little bit about Chelsea then, Sam. Connor Gallagher, captain at the moment in, in Rhys James's absence, he's actually Chelsea's best-rated player, according to her scored. I will say I've, I've been impressed with him, actually, in his tactical flexibility when I've watched Chelsea, the way he's drifted out to the right and covered off more attacking players at, at times. Many felt that he wouldn't be a part of, of this Chelsea team. Obviously, in the summer transfer window, he was linked with a with a move away pr- pretty heavily. He's done quite well. Has he, has he almost become their, their Mason Mount?
2: Hmm. Um, <laughs> interesting. I mean, I've been impressed with him too. Um, and I'm impressed with his character as well. Like obviously about h- half of me thought he was going to leave over the summer. You know, there were, there were bids from West Ham. There was talk, but he's a very resilient character, Conor Gallagher. And one thing's very clear. He wants to play for Chelsea and he is making that happen. Well, whichever way you want to dice it up, whichever position he ends up in, whichever role he plays, on the pitch, off the pitch, whatever he ends up doing what he wants to do. He's just got this kind of resilient nature to him. And he's a bit of a force of nature character, I think. And, and, and Connor Gallagher wants to play for Chelsea and he'll find a way. And that's what I'm really impressed with. Like how many times has he been dropped or moved position or nearly sold or whatever, or, or downgraded in terms of importance. And he just keeps firing back. Uh, and yes, obviously some of this is to do with the fact that they have injuries and I don't know what the genuine long-term plan for Conor Gallagher would be when you consider that Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo is presumably the intended midfield holding pair. I mean, they spent enough on them. They're clearly the, the, the priority. And then you've got this advanced attacking band of, you know, Cole Palmer and Raheem Sterling and Kylo Mudrick. And then you have a striker on top. And yeah, where does that leave Gallagher? I don't know, but he keeps finding a way to get into the team, doesn't he? And it's very, yeah. very impressive.
0: Lavier got Lavia as well. I love so, you, so yeah. for, for Pretty big money who hasn't played yet. Very kind of you saying they've got a striker uh, as well, Sam. He's
1: about to come back for injury, isn't he? Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not good, it's not good, George, is it? Chelsea, a couple of steps forward in in, in recent weeks. Some of us predicted actually that they'd lose to Brentford at home <laughs> at the weekend. They're struggling with playing at, at Stamford Bridge, and this will be a tough test for them away at Spurs, but it's just. They're crap armor let's just say that they, they are
2: no
1: uh i d- i just don't know if they are i just there's something you know when you when you watch them i think in spells you can see the team that they could be and i know that's not enough but like in the it's easy to forget that in that first half against, against Brentford it was just again as we've seen so many times just really poor finishing that meant that they didn't go in at half time at least one or two up um in 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 there and then the head's drop, obviously, Nicholas Jackson is woefully short confidence, again, missing chances uh, on Wednesday night in the Carabao Cup when he was given a home game against Blackburn to try and finally kind of build up some confidence and it kind of went the other way. But You know, when you look at it, it's interesting and, and obviously there's way more to um, to it than just numbers. But when you look at the like the XG data for these two sides playing, they're like eerily similar but Chelsea are just massively underperforming their XG. Spurs are overperforming their XG and they are poles apart in terms of performance level and and where they are in, in the league table. Like I, I don't think, you know, if, if you compare the two clubs that are being perceived from you know, the, the elite or the, the former elite or those that consider themselves elite in the Premier League. It's, it's Manchester United and Chelsea who are both being kind of perceived as being laughing stocks. I think Chelsea are way clear of Manchester United in terms of the actual performance level they're putting in, even if the results are much better. They're way closer to being OK, in my mind. And this game, I kind of, you know, looking at the odds now on Odds Checker, like Tottenham are best priced 23-20 to to win the game. Chelsea um, are, yeah, 9-4. to So, you know, the... The, the betting markets, despite Spurs being at home, despite Spurs being so much better this season, still have Spurs winning the get this game as less than a fifty percent chance, which I think is is probably down to the underlying numbers. And it does feel like at some point Chelsea's luck is going to change, and at some point Spurs, despite still being very good, are probably going to come unstuck in a game where they may not deserve to lose. And I and I. You know, given the rivalry between these two, you know, given especially what we've seen in the past between these two, it's Maurizio Pochettino has been in the dugout, albeit in the Spurs dugout, it just feels like a bit of a perfect storm for maybe something quite strange to happen. I mean, I'm not saying I think Chelsea will win, but I, I wouldn't necessarily be going just by the form book here. Where I, where at some point for Chelsea, like basically they're doing things right until they get, anywhere near the goal and then things just seem to blow up um but I'm not sure how long that will last I mean that's a key aspect of, of, of course it <laughs> is that, no, no, it? no 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 um, I mean I, no, I, I, no. I, but that's but, that, but that's the key is that like you've got I mean Jackson take Jackson out of the equation like whether it's Raheem Sterling whether it's Cole Palmer like, even Conor Gallagher is someone who normally is good God. for some goals and yet, at the moment, none of them are contributing, really. Like Sterling had a decent start to the season. He still looks very good in possession. He still looks very dangerous. But his finishing seems to have deserted him as well. Like This isn't going to continue. They cannot just continue to squander chances so, so consistently.
2: If you take Opta's XG underperformance and look at players, specifically underperforming their XG, the top 15, and by that I mean the worst 15, the 15 players, <laughs> who are underperforming the most in the league, Three of the top fifteen are Chelsea players, so Nicholas because, Jackson. I'm so surprised not yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nicholas, <laughs> I'm, I mean, so Raheem Sterling's not in there, but uh, he's obviously picked up a few goals. He's playing really well generally, uh, but I kind of expected him to maybe feature in there because he has missed a few. But obviously Jackson's there. Enzo Fernandez is a big culprit here. Like he's great, yeah, he's, a few. He's, great he's great, but he's missed a couple of like huge chances. Enzo around. Fernandez, um, and the other one is Cole Palmer, which actually surprised me a little bit. Although thinking back, actually he has squandered a couple of chances there in the box where you think why did you do that that's weird um <laughs> and, and it's just one of those things at chelsea at the moment and george you're expecting it to turn around at some point and like the numbers would suggest that that it does and you think nkunku's
0: imminent yes, arrival
2: you'd think nkunku, i say i think the only way it changes actually is that if the personnel changes and i was thinking that they have to get to january and buy another one but i'd kind of forgotten that nkunku is now quite close and although let's let's be clear and kunku has never played a minute in the premier league and that's Mm. not an our league thing it's just that like he might need a few games to adapt but the pressure is already mounting on this guy to try and fix these problems that are crippling chelsea right now they are stuck in the middle of the table again and there's only one reason why george you're right they do everything well except that that last bit. And Dan, you're right. That's the most important bit.
1: But also, and on Jackson, like it's easy for us. And, and obviously we've seen this with Chelsea strikers going back like a decade now, where they seem to be okay anywhere else than come to Chelsea and just forget how to finish. Um, Jackson last season scored 12 goals from 7.5 xG, which yeah, kind of tells you two things, I think. It tells you firstly that maybe this is the you know the much feared regression to the mean and that he was you know set to have some kind of a drop-off but also suggests that he can finish like there is the the nicholas jackson we're seeing at the moment who is completely devoid of confidence in front of goal isn't necessarily the nicholas jackson we're going to see long term so um you know and last season we saw everybody um, mocking darwin nunez in his first season in the premier league um yes he still does i mean his goal on Wednesday night was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my whole life. It's like, I've never seen a a moment of football define a player so beautifully. It's just <laughs> a terrible touch. Every, all the Bournemouth fans cheering and then him picking up the ball and smashing it into the top corner from a tight angle from 25 yards. But like, you know, there will be a time if he is persisted with where Jackson will start putting some of these away. I, I'm not saying that's going to be Saturday. It feels like right now, um, you know he's he's so far off it that it feels unlikely. But generally, if a player in La Liga is able to outperform their XG by five, it means they haven't got a fifty p pence for a foot. Like they 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 are capable. I
0: just watch him and think. He- He's, he's not got it, and we're talking about w- w- will it change? It's early days for Jackson, so potentially that's a bit unfair. And obviously, Miss and Chelsea were crap, it was, it was a bit unfair as well. They were good against Arsenal the, the, the other week. That was, even though they threw away a two-goal lead, that was a that was a, a pretty good performance overall. I, I would say you know, Gallagher's their top-rated player, according to who scored seven point one four. That's not massively high rating, and then under that it's in the top 10 it's just you know Raheem Sterling second 6.99 Enzo Fernandez 6.9 one third Cole Will and Thiago Silva pretty similar and then after that it just drops and you've missed out Cucurella poor bloke he's not in there <laughs> he's, he's third, he's, third. <laughs> he's not on my not on my picture Uncunko might change it because I do think he could be a clinical player I look at any of those players I think they are they are clinical. Mudrick, you know, he scored a fluke the other day against Arsenal. He, he didn't mean to do that. Cole, Cole Palmer scored a couple of penalties. I don't look at that team and think they've got that killer instinct in front of goal. So I, I can't see how it how how it changes. I don't see how Poch particularly cha- changes that. How, when does he start taking some not not blame Sam because it, again it's early days for him, but he looked really annoyed after the Brentford game and sounded really annoyed after the Brentford game. It's not you know it's not a lot for a lot of comparison, but. Spurs weren't great last season, but bear in mind what Postacoglu's come in and done at Spurs, having lost his best player. When does the manager
2: start getting looked at a a little bit more at Chelsea? Well, is annoyed because he's watching the same game over and over again. And it's really annoying when you watch that. It goes against you and there isn't very much you can do about it. Because eventually you're going to lose your cool. And he's doing really well at the moment, 10 weeks in, to not lose his cool. I don't know how much longer he lasts or maybe it started to crack uh, again after after the Brentford game Dan as you say because I actually don't really see what he can do about this like he's not in charge of buying strikers he's also can't magically prevent injuries to key players and I think the the two things that have defined Chelsea season so far have been injuries there have been an absolute ton of them particularly to key players like Reese James like Ben Chilwell and uh, like a few others and also the lack of finishing, which he also can't really control because he's given what he's given. And like, I don't know, you but hire the best shooting coach in the world. Like if a sniper's in a funk, he's in a funk. So I'm struggling to lay the blame at Pochettino's door at the moment. Although what I will say to try and balance the argument is he has done a few weird things like when he played Enzo Fernandez as a number 10 for like three games. I absolutely hated that and I never, ever want to see that again. And they started the season with Ben Chilwell kind of on the left wing, which I also hated and I never want to see that again either. So like, he's not perfect. he's He's not completely absolved of blame, but the two real issues that Chelsea are facing, the two things that are really holding them back, I can't lay at his door. I can't blame him for those. So I'm still giving him the time I'm still giving in the patience. Okay, then let's look at the the combined eleven. I don't know whether either of you have, uh, have seen this combined eleven, but
0: how many Chelsea players do you think make it into the Tottenham Chelsea combined eleven?
2: Based on this season, yeah, uh, one Conor Gallagher, one,
0: one Conor Gallagher. He is in. I can confirm, George.
1: Yeah, I think the same.
0: No, it's, three. It. it's three. It's three. Wow. Yeah, it's a 4-3-3 formation. So we've got Vicario who's having a great season in goal, Pedro Porro, who I absolutely love, Romero, Colwell, and at uh, Left back, uh, doggy's name, uh, for some reason, I don't know whether you do, any, does anyone do weird things when they watch football, like every time doggy's name is said on the TV, I look at my dog and go, Udagi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do it every time. If, if ever anyone's watching football with me, it must be very annoying. I'm field three of Basuma, Madison, and Conor Gallagher. And then Kulasevski, Son and Sterling is the front three. Or not? I think that team would score
2: goals. So not, if you, you put me. if you put him in Son in that Chelsea team, Chelsea would be fifth or better. You reckon? Yeah. It's that simple for me. Genuinely. Maybe
0: Uncunku will change it then.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, he has to hit the ground running for that then.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, No pressure,
2: Kunku. Just do exactly what Son's been doing for it's the last him, years. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And Chelsea win the league. Excellent. <laughs> uh, George, you're the odds checker man. What are the what
1: are the top four Thank odds you.
0: for Spurs and Chelsea?
1: Tottenham, as you'd expect, a pretty short price. So if they're still five to six to finish in the top four. Uh, that's best price with Betway. Um, they're as short as four to seven elsewhere. That five to six does feel big. Um, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, all comfortably shorter. The um, Newcastle, the the, the next a uh, two to one. Uh, Chelsea, best press nine to one. That's for Sky Bet. So, um, you know, by no means a uh, no hope, but you'd think um, you know if they if they're beaten by Spurs this weekend, that will surely go pretty big double figures um, if they lose more ground. But yeah, that five to six about Spurs. If you want to tie your money up until May, seems like a, a fair a fair bet.
0: And just in case people aren't familiar with betting, if you put £10 on Chelsea at 9-1, to you lose £10 just so they play the <laughs> with, with what happens there. Let's get our predictions in then, George. I'll let you go first. Spurs-Chelsea?
1: Well, as I said, I'm just wondering if this might be um, a bit of one of those Premier League games that springs a shock. You know, easy to, to forget that Chelsea very nearly beat Arsenal and deservedly so recently. I'm going tottenham nil, Chelsea-1.
0: George, still ill, obviously, (laughs) here.
1: Sam, what are you going
2: for? Can't be this time, Jordan. No. Goodness, no. Um, I'm glad he's backed up his chat, though, over the last 15 minutes. He's been hinting Mm. at doing that. Hinting at dropping that. Yeah, to be fair, brave. brave. Um, I'm going to go for 2-1 to Spurs. Two one to Spurs and I've gone
0: for two nil to Spurs and Mr. Odds Checker man, that's what I would like to insert into our our treble this week, please. Spurs to beat Chelsea. That's that's mine. That seems to me the most obvious result of the weekend. Although George going against it has made me question myself ever so slightly. I wouldn't bother. No, we're okay. Yeah, fine. Let's look at Newcastle against Arsenal then. And Sam, two in form English strikers. I watched Eddie Nketiah play against Sheffield United last week. One of his goals was an absolute yeah. rasp. But you know one one. Of those goals when the crowd go, oh, before before it goes in, it, that was a, a really nice. Hit. Did so you his, watch him
2: against West Ham on Wednesday? I did not. know.
0: Yeah, that's for the best. Yeah, I didn't watch that. So I'll just off Premier League. It was similar um, noises. It was, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to <laughs> worry about the Carabao Cup too much. But is well, the game isn't Nketiah against Wilson, but they are against each other this, this weekend, along with Ollie Watkins as well. Next England striker after uh, Harry Kane, who would it be?
2: Yes. Um, and, sorry, just to be clear, um, Arsenal were were very poor overall against West Ham, so we can't lay all of that at Nketiah's door. But it, it, it was kind of one of those games that you watch and he doesn't really make any kind of impact because the team aren't playing well. So they can't bring him into the game and he can't get himself into the game because is a bit a bit of a poacher type right like a, a lot of the time you want to bring him into the game using the team is, isn't
1: there a massive irony in that where like everyone spends the whole time saying Arsenal need out and out striker gabriel jesus drops too deep and, and you know he doesn't he links up play too much doesn't play through the middle and then but they've got one in Nketia, and when he plays and, and they don't play well it's like well you know, he doesn't offer anything apart from goals it's like well yeah i mean i'm
2: not saying you're saying this but it's no just like, no no it's they've got a right. the you're right. I've heard a lot of Arsenal sense.
0: fans say when Nketiah he doesn't doesn't play well when he comes on to try and change a game. That he has to play from the start if he's if he's going to be on the pitch. He doesn't offer anything from the bench. I've heard that. Label, I'm not sure that?
2: that that's necessarily true either. Like, I, 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 also, I might, Callum Wilson. I'll be honest with you. I don't I don't rate him particularly highly. And of of the, of the pile of England strikers that we're kind of wading through here, you know, after Kane, I've got him fourth right now. Maybe fifth, maybe sixth, maybe seventh. Fifth like in January
1: the, when, when Ivan well, Tony's I back know. from. Well,
2: I've, I, so Ivan Tony returns in January, and and I think you know Watkins Wilson Tony drop him down. If Tammy Abraham is able to recover from his knee injury, then drop him down again. And, and at that point, obviously, if I'm selecting the squad, I'm not taking him. He's not on my um, plane or, or train or, or bus or however you want to get to Germany, <laughs> um, because ultimately, like you've got a player like Rashford who will be taken as a wide forward and in an emergency situation will become the third or the fourth striker. So you're never taking more than three. So I'm not necessarily sure what Anketia has to do to get into this squad, but it might be score 20 Premier League goals and suddenly become an incredible all-round forward because I think Wilson is more Southgate's type. And we bring that conversation back to like what has Southgate tended to look for in a striker. Obviously, the model is Kane. And then in the past, he's tried to use Tammy. He's tried to use Calvert-Lewin. Let's throw him into the conversation as well. He's obviously looked at Wilson. He's been very reticent on Ollie Watkins, hasn't he, Dan? To the point where we've been questioning it. But we can all agree that over the last six months, Watkins has got a hell of a lot better in his general overall play. The reference point stuff, the layoffs. He looks more like Kane now than he did six months ago, for sure. And it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that Southgate has now finally taken the plunge on him. So as long as Watkins carries on, I think that's the model. And Ketilio is, is night and day to these players, in my opinion. He doesn't offer that same thing. And I just don't think that's what Southgate likes. I think he looks for a certain type of thing in a striker. And yes, you always want different profiles up front, but Rashford brings you that. And, yeah. he, he, and he doesn't take up a squad spot because he's already a wide forward. Yeah, he's, he's, he's also George. terrible up front, though, isn't he? He is, but like we're talking fourth choice here, or third. Like, yeah, like, yeah, no, no, I, I agree. It's just yeah, a shame es- he's...
0: Essentially, he never plays there, does he? If we go by previous tournaments, Harry Kane just plays yeah, every yeah. single
2: game. That, that, that's what happens. And we always waste our up. energy on this debate somewhere. Yeah. Don't we like it's like Madison going to the World Cup. It's like, of course, he's going to play zero minutes. Like, why are we, why are we shouting <laughs> <laughs> about and this? this? We're going to continue to argue it, I think. Because, um, <laughs> we're professional, uh, podcasters. A we're professional podcasters.
0: <laughs> I will say i am showing my non bias here at all. As much as I think Ollie Watkins is the form English striker, I do think Ivan Tony is the best natural fit to back up Kane because I think he does more of the things that yes. Kane does well to to a higher standard, I would say, in terms of in terms of link up play. So it'll be interesting to see w- when he comes back. Who do Checker make as the as the as the next in line to kind of get getting the squad into you, Sam just railed off his list, and I think Enkedia was 127th what's the at <laughs> least for get, getting in the squad for strikers, George.
1: Yeah, I mean Kane is one to ten um to be in the squad um better than most better than most ICEs. Um but, but obviously you're 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 betting against um an injury uh and, and that's effectively it. Uh Rashford is one to six, again, who you'd anticipate will absolutely be there. Um and then you know, it gets a bit more interesting. Callum Wilson is ten to eleven, so basically rated as kind of a fifty-fifty chance as to whether or not he goes. Uh, Ollie Watkins eleven to ten, so seen as having a, a more than a fifty percent chance of making the squad. Uh, Raheem Sterling eleven to eight, obviously been out of favour recently. Uh, Will his um, revived form uh, get him in? Jared Bowen, who we haven't mentioned, who I guess is another one a bit similar to Rashford who can he play. Was really, but he
2: was really good up front on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, he actually yeah. can do it. But the issue with him with with Bowen is that he is so effective against teams that play a high line and it just yeah. feels like England are just not going to play against teams of the high line unless maybe it'd be quite fun just to just to have him in in case we get into the final and play uh, someone who who you know <laughs> plays high and in. yeah exactly. Uh, and then um we have got Eddie and Ketty is nine to two, which given that he's been in the last two squads might be quite interesting. Uh Tammy Abraham five to one. Um so it's kind of take your pick, I guess. Like once you get beneath Kane and Rashford, you're basically looking at a at a fifty percent chance or bigger for the rest of them. So um, yeah, the 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 prices don't have much of an idea. And and if you you know anyone listening or or, or watching thinks that the likes of you know Wilson Watkins um, Raheem will absolutely be in the squad, then there might be some value there.
0: I mean, looking at the the who scored head to head, it's not much between Inketia. And, uh, and Wilson and Ketia has got the superior average rating, but I imagine that was boosted heavily by scoring a hat trick. At the weekend, Wilson's got seven goals in nine appearances and then Ketia has five in ten. One of the big battles of the weekend, George, is Bako Saka against Dan Byrne. Only Sheffield United average more of their attacking touches down the right-hand side than Arsenal. As much as they're a great team, Arsenal, they are pretty reliant on Saka. He is their key player.
1: I think both teams are so reliant on, on the, their right-hand sides in this one, which is interesting because as we've said before in this show, like Kieran Trippier's role at Newcastle is very much the kind of the the wide playmaker um, off that right-hand side. So it'll be be a case basically of both teams trying to shift the ball out to the right-hand side as much as possible. Um, Saka has had, he had a very good start to the season. Obviously he's had his injury issues. I was really surprised to see Mikel Arteta bring him on Last night, with 25 minutes to go, when they were already basically three 0 down and looking like they were going out of the cup, it felt like an unnecessary yeah. risks to take. You know, but he's a he's a magnificent player, and it feels like this is the kind of game that, that may well suit him. I'm I'm interested to know, watching that Newcastle Dortmund game, um, uh, ten days or so ago, where Dortmund went went ahead in the first half, and then just totally sat off Newcastle in a way that we haven't really seen anyone do before, and it was almost as if they were going to say, like, you are very good in transition. We're just going to let you have the ball now, and we're going to sit in a low block, and we're going to see what you can do. And they couldn't really do anything; like they were, it was, it was the most stunted attacking-wise we've seen them this season. And we've also seen Arsenal at times, despite them being a, generally a very high pressing side in bigger games, as we've already mentioned, happy to, to to seed possession. I think at some point it may not be this weekend, but at some point I think a Premier League team is going to look at that blueprint that the Dortmund set out and say, well, we're going to do the same here. We're just going to sit off and let, and let." Um, these players have it and try and nullify their threat (coughs) that way. And if they were to do that, then I think that actually suits Saka very well, where he's a player who we know, even though he doesn't get to do it that often, is is very, very good at exploiting space in behind, despite him also being very technically gifted and being able to, to get out of tight space as well. So it'll be an interesting matchup. You know, there's no denying, despite... Dan Byrne being an inspired signing and someone who does, um, does himself proud for his beloved Newcastle. You know, there, there are levels between these two that there is a, a gap and he'll, he'll have his work cut out in order to, to try and stop Saka on the day.
2: Don't we say um, this a lot? We always look at like the matchups for a Newcastle game and you immediately, rightly or wrongly, you go. It's Dan Byrne. Dan Byrne against the Red Because <laughs> the quality of the right winger is so strong in the Premier League that you always look at, you always on paper, you're like, Dan Byrne's the weakness. And do you know what? I really feel he like... He never and is. I, I, no, I never gets done. And, and it's like, he's very rarely the problem that we all sort of anticipate or suggest. Although, saying that at the weekend, Huang Hee-chan sent him for a hot dog. So if, if Huang Hee-chan can do that, then obviously Saka can as well. But just to, just to just to say that about Dan Burns, like, I think I I think I always nominate him as like the weak link, and it's like so rarely actually the case. I I feel like I need to just just give him a little bit more respect sometimes. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. He's deceptively
0: quick actually, because you think you look at him and you think he's six foot six, six foot six foot seven. I oh, he'll get done down the wing by a pacey winger. That doesn't really happen. He's actually pretty quick, yeah. Dan Burn. Maybe not quick, but he covers the ground fast. I mean, that's the same thing as being quick. Really. He, he, <laughs> he, covers, he covers the ground quickly, doesn't he, Dan Burn? you've just said about there being like a, a level of difference between Arsenal and Newcastle, George. And I'd probably agree with, with what you say. But well, almost... No, no, it
1: was it was Saka was, it was uh, sorry, I um, you about Burn. I mean, I was actually going to say, like, looking at the prices for this game. Arsenal are favorites just the 8 to 5 um that's with Beth City's 5 Newcastle 15 to 8 and the draw 5 to 2 and this is no disrespect to Arsenal at all who have you know are obviously a brilliant side it's also not um jerk from last night which I, which I don't think really matters i don't think arsenal should be favorites for this game like i don't think arsenal are the, are the likely winners at st james's park um in a Premier League game between these two like it's interesting to note that Newcastle have the best XG ratio in the whole Premier League this season and they had the third best last season over the whole campaign like their their good form and their co- level of quality is not a flash in the pan it's not running hot it's not unsustainable like they are genu- genuinely one of the best sides in the, in the division and their home form is incredibly good I, I yeah I, I I don't and, and as saying, I think I think they're going to win but I, I don't think I agree that Arsenal are, are the likely of the two to win this game
0: I, I agree with you, to be fair, although I have picked Arsenal to win in, in our predictions. I agree with you that I wouldn't make them, like, favourites for for the game. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there really is a favourite for, for this game. I've, I think Arsenal are the, are the better team, obviously. You know, they finished higher in the league last season. They're, they're going better at the moment this season. But Newcastle last night against Manchester United, I don't know if it's against Manchester United at all, for you. The coaching's so good there. Eddie Howe played mm. about five left-backs last night. <laughs> <laughs> they're they, they still one three nil. So Eddie Howe, such a such a top level coach. Sam at the, at the moment, he got that. Whoever comes in, they know exactly what they're doing. They know
2: their role, and they, they run all die for him. They do, yeah. I feel like I say this a lot, but they keep showing it. It's the, the energy and the attitude uh, on show and the de- determination on show from all of Newcastle's players, whoever comes into the 11. Whether it's like the established, genuine stars like Isak and Gimerech, or whether it's like Matt Target, you know, getting his shot or Lewis Hall getting his shot. It's just like it, there's something in the water there that Eddie Howe has put in, and they all play the same. Tune, don't they? It's it's remarkable, genuinely remarkable. Um, Paul Dummett uh, played last night. Paul well, Dummett? I forgot he even played for Newcastle. It was a Paul Dummett, Emil Kraft, centre back partnership. Right? Kraft,
1: Kraft, hadn't, Kraft, hadn't played since last August. Yeah, he oh, I didn't know those two were
2: still there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, amazing, he cobbled it together, but it it, it still looks the same. Um, and obviously, they've been they've been working through Premier League games recently without Sven Botman, probably their best centre back on paper, although obviously they've got a good collection. So Jamal Sells pops he's in. He's come in and been good. He's come in and, and been really good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm also struggling to figure out why Arsenal might be favourites, other than the fact that defensively they have been exceptional this season. And while George, you're right that Newcastle's like expected points are really high. The XG, you know, is really good. like how much of it, I just don't know with it, depending on the model, like, how much is that nine nil win over Sheffield United affecting things like that? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it, like it is a factor in a 10-game sample size. But Arsenal being so defensively solid in the Premier League this season, giving up like 0.4 XG to City and, and generally being very, very difficult to break down and beat, I think probably plays into the fact that they are just slight favourites here. And and I will take them to win, but I don't feel good about it. Hmm. Let's look
0: at the combined 11 before we get into our pr- prediction. So we've got David Raya in goal. Kieran Trippier and Dan Byrne are the fullbacks in this combined 11. The centre-back pairing, of course, is Emil Krath and Paul Dummett. It's not really. It's Saliba <laughs> and Cher. Yeah. Declan Rice, Erdegaard and Gamaraj as the midfield three. And then Saka and Ketia and Anthony Gordon is the front three. Again, a very nice team. Hmm. From who scored? Let's look at our pr- predictions. Then it's worth saying before we do them, although they are locked in. In fairness, the last six games between these two, someone's won to nil, so it's probably worth noting that that fits nicely. yes the...
1: no six six to five. Yeah, Best that price. fits
0: in nicely with my prediction because I've gone for Newcastle nil, Arsenal one. Yeah, I've gone for a two one win to Arsenal. Two one to Arsenal. I'm really pleased that I made that prediction without knowing that that stat that was that was knocking around, George. I've also gone for a 2-1 win, but for the tune, 2-1 Newcastle. 2-1 a nice little spread on the predictions mm-hmm. so far. My lead has dropped, but it does make it a little bit more exciting when it's uh, when, it, when it's different. There's a lot of similar <laughs> predictions on last week's show. I know you didn't watch, George, as you admitted before we came on, but, yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of samey predictions last week. Let's do the rest of our predictions then. We'll start with Fulham against Manchester United. George, what have you gone for with this one?
1: I did my predictions before last night's games. Oh, well, um, we, we, had, we had to. One all,
2: perfect. That's what I've gone for as well. One one, Sam. Can you tell that I also did mine before the game? I actually <laughs> took United to win one nil. Oh no! I see. I really wanted to go Fulham to
0: win, but I bottled it and went for went for went for one one. Brentford against West Ham, George.
1: This is my best pick. Um yeah. Brentford to West Ham nil. I, I mean, I know that West Ham have been uh, so impressive at times, but I do just think they're a, they're a team who thrive when they can play on the counter and really struggle against sides who, who don't let them. Um, spring their high line and we know that Brentford are absolute Sorry. masters of, of dropping in and, and stopping teams from doing that so I think home win
0: Perfect I've gone for exactly the same score again Brentford 2 West Ham 0 Sam uh, Brentford 3 West Ham 1 Burnley against Palace George letting you go first every time this week for some reason Thank you uh, Burnley 2 Palace 0 Burnley 2 Palace 0 I've gone for 1-1 one, one. Sam 1-1 one, one. Everton against Brighton George I'm going to keep letting you go first That's fine Thanks uh, one all one all. It makes no difference. Two goes first anyway, because they're already locked in. I've gone for Everton 2, Brighton 2. Sam? Everton 2, Brighton 1. Fantastic. Sheffield United v. Wolves, George?
1: 0-0.
0: 0-0. I was tempted for that myself, I've got to say, but I went for 2-1 to Wolves in the end, Sam? 1-0 to Wolves. Manchester City against Bournemouth,
2: George? 3-0 home win.
0: 5-0 home win here, Sam? 5-0.
2: Yeah oh, and oh, this is oh, my oh. and this is my best You've five as well. Wow, no. Yeah, I've gone 5 No, No, I've gone 5 no. This is my best pick. Um can you believe it? I'm so bold, I'm so brave. Uh, <laughs> no, Man City I'm at home to a relegation candidate. I think this is a great pick. I think they will win. Going to if to we
1: if if our treble gets done by a nine on selection, <laughs> I'll be I'll be absolutely devastated. Just to say, because that makes up our treble, where we've got uh, Tottenham uh, to beat Chelsea, Brentford to beat West Ham, and City to beat Bournemouth. Uh, the best price on odds check it is four point zero four to one. Um, that's just uh, just bigger than three to one. That's with BetMGM and Bet UK. Um, using the odd checker bet slip as well means you can see uh, the disparity in best price and the worst price is three point four seven to one. So basically, you're getting three to one rather than five to two if you bet using odds checker. Done
0: Newcastle against Arsenal, Forest against Villa. George, one all. Well, come on, George. I've gone for <laughs> two one to Villa. Sam, one all. Sorry, mate. One all as well. Okay. Mm. Forest at home,
2: no slouch. Yeah.
0: True, true. I've not, I've not been impressed. I was impressed
1: with Forrest at the start of the season, but not been impressed with them in, in recent weeks when I've when I've seen them.
0: Uh, Luton against Liverpool,
1: George. This is an interesting one because even though the obvious thing is that Liverpool battered them, if you look at the underlying numbers, Luton's xG ratio at home is is is, is good, and Liverpool's xG ratio away from home is bad. So I'm going to say slightly tighter than you'd expect. Luton one, Liverpool two.
0: Okay, I've gone for three nil to Liverpool. Sam, uh, two nil to Liverpool. to Liverpool and of course we've already done our Spurs against Chelsea predictions that finishes off our roundup of this week's Premier League fixtures the team we're going to focus on this week is Aston Villa Football Club we'll start with the neutral that's you George 12 wins in a row at home the best home start to a season there's too many words in this script (laughs) <laughs> start to a season at home across Europe's top five leagues. Talk to the heart, mate. Yeah, basically Villa are very good at, at, at home, George. Brilliant start to the season. Obviously, Villa have been taken apart by Newcastle and Liverpool earlier on in the season. Maybe that gave a false sense of where Villa were. But other than those games, they've been absolutely brilliant and just seem to be dispatching teams at home with ease. Obviously, they're away this week. Right up there and really I you know I think Villa have got a very good chance of finishing in the top five and, and getting Champions League football potential.
1: Yeah, so do I. Yeah, I mean the, the, the goals that you score, and I'm gonna say you because I'm talking to two Villa fans <clears throat> um consistently, like the level of finishing is, is unbelievable. Like we we have spent a long time on this show talking about Chelsea and their, their issues in front of goal, but with Aston Villa it's the absolute reverse. And it was for the most part last season, as well under Unai Emery. Um like the red flag yeah. and you know I, I normally um, try not to mention XG more than three times in a show but I'm going to break that today like the red flag is that you are overperforming your XG by a ridiculous amount um, which probably doesn't matter because when you look at actually the the deficit or the the amount that you're winning um, games by you're generally beating teams by two or three so realistically maybe if you were to revert back to the mean you wouldn't have a massive issue on your points tally but I think the job that Emery has done is is so impressive. And I think he is, the general narrative around managers is always so binary. It's always manager good or manager bad. And it never really takes in any, new, any nuance or context. And I think in Unai Emery, you're seeing an example of a manager who is a perfect fit for a club like Aston Villa. Like he went to Arsenal where expectations were, were probably higher than than the actual squad quality. Uh, and, and he struggled to, to work with a group of players who were maybe of a different profile to what he was used to in previous jobs in Spain. At Villa, it, it's, it's way more aligned with what he's normally done by getting teams, taking teams who've maybe been mid-table previously and getting them to overperform both domestically and in Europe. And, and it's really great to see. I think is the um goal goal scoring exploits, something I didn't necessarily expect. But as you mentioned earlier, the you know, the, the form of Ollie Watkins in particular, not just in front of goal, but his general his general play, the improvement of Douglas Louise, the addition of 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 TRB, like even Leon Bailey, who is a player that he's I guess we session. probably all he's been brilliant, you know, and that you know, in the same way that we talk about Eddie Howe improving certain players, I, I genuinely think that when you're judging a manager's achievements, almost beyond just pure results, looking at how individual players and their career trends and their career trajectories go under a manager is probably the best way to actually equate what a manager is doing or what a head coach yeah. is doing. Mm-hmm. Like we focus on Saturday and Sunday games or Tuesday night games or whatever. The majority of a head coach's work is on the training pitch, is on the training pitch with players and his player development, and that often gets overlooked. Um, and Emery is is doing both. He's getting the results. He's getting players to to their levels to elevate. He's integrating new players with ease. And, you know, so even though there are red flags in the data, I'm not necessarily sure it's that pertinent in this conversation about Aston Villa.
0: Yeah, I think, that, you know, the XG thing is, is interesting, but it's been like this for 12 months. So it's, it's just a this is just yeah. a continuation on what happened last season. Villa had no right to qualify for Europe, yet somehow he managed to get, you know, Brighton were raved about all season. Emery took over Villa, I think, in, in 17th in the league. Villa yeah. finished a point off Brighton. So Villa's form over the last 12 months has been, champions league form so there's no reason why it why can't continue sam and george is right the improvement on players that were already there you know the list is endless concert was struggling before he came in tyro mings before he got injured was absolutely brilliant douglas louise who we're going to talk about in a second john McGinn was up was on the floor confidence wise watkins yeah. was, wasn't scoring you know the, the list endless there's, there's way more players than that as well and that is the sign of a, of a great manager but he's the rise of of douglas louise who villa uh but, you know, we were saying earlier about teams being a team and not having a star man. I think that is Villa. I think Villa star man is the manager. But their best player probably is Douglas Luiz. And when he's not there, they're, they're not quite the same. There's been a few cup games he hasn't played and Villa haven't looked as as good. He's the second highest rated central midfielder in the league behind Rodri, which I'm really pleased with because I watch him and think he's absolutely brilliant. And I haven't always thought he was brilliant in his Villa career. To be second to Rodri, That just says how good he is there.
2: The stats back up the eye test for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I wrote a piece about Douglas Louise a couple of weeks ago for the Who Scored website. So either I've, you know, truly got my finger on the pulse of football's most preeminent topics, or the guy that writes this script also edits my articles. It could be either one. You know, who knows what the real truth is there? Uh, I can't decide. But uh, yeah, uh, I will rave all day about Douglas Louise. And his, you know, the rating caught my eye. Is it sort of got me wondering, like, okay, well, is he actually, is he actually one of the best ten midfielders, deep midfielders, number sixes in the Premier League? The Who scored rating has him second. He's obviously had a great start to the season, but like, actually, let's stack them up and let's figure it out. So, I did a little exercise where I tried to try to create a list of players that I think are definitely, definitely better than Douglas Dawes as deep holding midfielders in the Premier League, and the list is Rodri. John Stones, if you want to categorize him there, which he increasingly is, Casemiro, Bruno Gimarache, Declan Rice, and Enzo Fernandez, And then I have a separate bucket of players that I'd be willing to have an argument slash debate <laughs> about on Palina, Cech Decore, like that, Moises, yeah. Moises Caicedo, Ys Basuma, and Sofian Amrabat, who were all very good and probably around and about Douglas Luiz's level. So in the list that I've got that's definitely better there are six players. And then the list I'd argue a few of those to be honest as well. Oh there you go then. And then yeah. I've got five Good who shot. I think are in the similar bucket. So there's 11 and make it um and <clears> make it Luis as 12. There is a clear case for him to be considered genuinely one of the best in his field in the Premier League, which is the strongest league. I mean, what an incredible place to be and and what a rise for Luis who you know, four years ago, Dan, could not he couldn't figure out if he was a box-to-box player or, a, or what. He, he didn't know what his best position was. He didn't have much positional discipline. He liked stroking the ball around, but he didn't necessarily penetrate with his passes. I don't think he, he learned to do the defensive work until the, the lockdown season. Yeah. He's steadily added bits to his game and got better and better and better. And it has culminated in him now being a set-piece master and someone who can arrive on the edge of the box and, and power a few finishes home. It's making a hell of a difference to Villa. It really is. Yeah, he, do, he does it all. In fairness, I can't think of a,
0: a weak spot in, in in his game. He doesn't even really struggle with. He's not. I mean, he's not the most physically imposing man, but I don't because he's so good on the ball. I don't feel like that ever becomes a, yeah. a problem. A few years ago, West Ham were riding high, and I remember saying that they're they're allowed they're doing this basically because of sue and Rice because they're providing a platform for the attacking players to go and do what they're good at. But they're also doing such a good job of protecting the back four and the goalkeeper as well. But like as partnerships go. I don't know what you think of this, George. Kamara and Louise is a really, really strong double six partnership. They are both very, very good at a number of things that you want your number six to, to be good at. And Sam just said Louise can go forward and almost become an eight at, yeah. at times as well. Partnership-wise, I think it is them that's doing the same thing as I just said about Royce and Suchek a few years ago. They're enabling the attacking players to go and do their thing, but they're also protecting the back four as, as well. That's a... I think that's a high-level midfield, too. Yes,
1: yeah, so do I. Um, and I think Kamara's probably been overlooked at times, especially from neutrals, given the the, the form of, of Louise. And it's often the case when, you know, especially given Louise's goal-scoring exploits, that's what uh, takes the plaudits, even if a lot of his good work is, is isn't necessarily the the goals themselves. Um, and also, I think it's very good for John McGinn to have those two, where he is then afforded. A bit more of a free role. He's given some creative freedoms. He's given a lot of positional, uh, sorry, positional freedom as well, where he can um, occupy space out wide or, or through the middle. It just feels like Unai Emery has a really strong handle on his squad. So like we spoke earlier about Pochettino doing some quite weird things with his players, and as if he's trying to solve a, a jigsaw puzzle and can't really find the right pieces. With Emery, it feels like he knows exactly what he's getting out of each player, and he can, and he's found almost a formula that will encourage, you know, enable Louise. You said earlier that he didn't know a couple of seasons ago if he was a, a holding midfielder or, or a, or a box, box midfielder at the moment. He's kind of both yeah. um, depending on the game. <laughs> but so he still doesn't know.
2: Great. No, yeah, yeah <laughs>
1: but he doesn't know he's doing both well rather than yeah. anything else. So at, at the moment, it feels like you're basically the only thing that can, um, you know, trigger any kind of, real downfall of this filler side is probably injuries mm. um, where you know if you lose a couple of the players we've just mentioned I'm not entirely sure there are there are those ready to kind of step in seamlessly and also as you said we, we have seen you dispatched a couple of times a couple of times by by decent sides but I think the way that you've set up to play and the way Emery wants you to play that's going to happen you, you know it's, it's a high risk strategy where you are effectively playing on the front foot Regardless of the scoreline, at any time, which as a fan, you know, I know you guys, I know a couple of other Villa fans. Talking about this being the most enjoyable time to be a Villa fan of yeah, their lives, like and that, that is that is that isn't just results. That is the manner of the performances and the profiles of the players and the ages of, and the age of the players that you've got too. And the good thing is for Villa fans is that your owners are, are so ambitious that it doesn't really feel like you have too much to worry about in terms of losing those players. Like I, I you know, the, the amount of money it would take to get Watkins out, the amount of money it would take to get Louise out. It feels like you're in a, a strong position where you're not necessarily going to get picked off.
0: Yeah, I think unless Man City are coming in for, for them as well, and potentially Arsenal, you know, where's the massive step up at the moment? I'm not I'm not, not sure it's there. I think the Villa players know how good they are and, and under Unai Emery, how much he's improved them. Sometimes you take a player out of a stable environment. Let's say Manchester United wanted Ollie Watkins. Why would you go there? You'd stay where you are, mm-hmm. stay in a stable environment, stay in an environment that's enabled you to grow. And become the the player that you are. We're running out of time, but just just quickly, I'm going to ask both of you this question, and I'll I'll answer it as well. I've been flitting in between this in in recent weeks. In in fairness, Sam, would you rather win the Europa Conference League or qualify for the Champions League? That is an evil question. I know. I've been asked it a few times recently as well, and struggled. I don't have an answer.
2: I I genuinely like oh Conference League. Conference League. Football is about winning trophies. Agreed, and I've always agreed with it. But I found
0: myself changing <gasps> in recent weeks, just because I think if you qualify for the, because I've watched Nuka, every Newcastle game in the Champions League and seen what it means to them, and seen what it's like to be a part of it from Villa to be, to, to be a part part of it. Realistically, if you win the Conference League, yes, you get a trophy. It gets you in the Europe the Europa League. Kind of, kind of next season. That that's what it gets you in Villa. Were to, I mean, Villa can do both potentially. Let, let, let
1: Villa let, already uh, European champions. You don't need I to win that. I wasn't
0: I <laughs> wasn't alive. I didn't, didn't didn't see it happen before I was before I, I was I, conceived.
1: I think, and and you know, Sam, you're right. Like winning trophies is is the aim. Firstly, there's no real prestige to that. I mean, and I'm not taking anything away from from West Ham fans who had an incredible, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't swap it for anything, but like of all the trophies you're going to win, one that was kind of created two years ago doesn't really feel like one to, to, to kind of really bust the gut for. I think it would more be the experience of probably watching your team in the European Cup final and, and winning uh, and having that euphoria isn't necessarily something that, you know, support, when you support a, a team who spent the majority of your lifetime in, in mid-table is something you, you expect to happen. The thing is, if you qualify for the Champions League, especially given that, you know, you're not short of a few quid, what that enables you to do in yeah. terms of actually bridging the gap to those above you in terms of recruitment um, is massive. And maybe, um, you know, if you were to qualify for the Champions League this season, I don't think you'd be challenging for the Champions League Champions League trophy next season but it might enable you to challenge for the Premier League trophy Champions League trophy in the future so I would long term I mean if I was if, if I was 80 years old I'd maybe say the, the uh the conference league
2: <laughs> but, but neither of you two are so I think you know We're be not, ambitious no. you're right yeah. everything you just said is correct and that is why it's an evil question it's a horrible <laughs> question we'll tie but we'll
0: tie though won't we, Sam we'll, pro- we'll uh, probably uh, do both I, <laughs> I, I would imagine that's how easy and, it is Odds wise,
1: odds wise, six to one uh, for a top four finish. Um, really? Yeah, at the moment, best price that's with Betway. Five to four for a top six finish.
0: Yeah, I think I just yeah. about agree with with George. I think you know what that gives you in terms of flexibility with spending because you you've got the the massive income that that comes with it. I think that just helps you grow as a as a, as a football club and potentially gives you the chance to to stay around the top for longer. Whereas if you win the Europa Conference League, yes, it's lovely to have a trophy and I would celebrate it. All night and have a very larry evening, larry. You week. have
1: a little replica above your Jamie Tart shirt there, Mike. Yeah,
0: exactly. I'd probably would. I probably would do that, George. Once you've won it, that that's it. If you stay, if you get the Champions League, that helps your football club grow and helps you stay amongst the elite. In my opinion, Champions it League does. football would be absolutely massive, and also. Just to finish, this manager wants to be in the Champions League, and if you want to keep hold of this manager, your best chance of keeping hold of him is to be operating at that highest level, in, in my opinion, because he's that good. That you know, Unai Emery is going to go down as the best Villa manager I've ever seen. I already know that this is this is going to happen, and I'm sure he will win something. But if he takes Villa into the Champions League, you know that's where he wants to be. He speaks about that being where he wants to be. He got Villa right to a semi final. And that's how good this how good this guy is, so
2: yeah, you yeah. may have won me over there. Give yeah, me a it's hard. Weeks. It's give, give it's me a couple of weeks, I'll come back on the pod in a couple of weeks, and I'll let you know how I feel about it all. Yeah, we'll see, see what
0: happens in the week. We beat, we beat Forest, God, like some run Villa, some run Villa, Villa run. That does us for this week's Edge of the Box by Whoscored.com in association with OddsChecker. Thanks ever so much for joining us. If you want to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on, that really helps the channel grow. Please, please do subscribe. Leave us a like on the video as well if you've enjoyed it and comment below if you agree with what we've said in this show. We'll be back next week. Thanks to the chaps for joining me today. Have a great weekend and tell all your friends and your family about the podcast.